resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated as Margaret leads us in prayer. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. That's from Psalm 55, verse 22. So let us come before our faithful Lord and bring our requests to him. Heavenly Father, we ask for your forgiveness when we have failed to love you as we should. We are sorry and ask that you transform us through your spirit to discipline our thoughts and actions so that we bring you the honour and glory you deserve. Let us now pray for our world. Our Heavenly Father, we grieve as we learn of continuing violence and war in so many areas around the world. People, including children, are losing their lives, family members, homes, communities, livelihoods, and places of safety. We trust you and know you are working out your purposes for good, even when we don't understand what you're doing. We humbly pray that you will pour out your mercy and protect the most vulnerable, and for aid to come quickly to those who are suffering. Above all, we pray for people to hear and receive the hope and light of the gospel, all to your glory. And now for our mission partners, Chris Mann and the Box Hill Church Plant. Gracious Lord, we give thanks for the launch team and pray they would be united unto Jesus, excited and eager for mission and growing in him, for opportunities to build relationships with neighbours and that God would be preparing many to come to faith in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Father, we bring before you the Alpha Course, which begins on Tuesday. It's an opportunity for people to explore life, faith and ask questions. Help us to be bold to invite people to come and see. Prepare and soften the hearts of those invited and enable Suzanne and the team to faithfully share the life-giving gospel. Now we have an opportunity to pray silently for concerns about people and situations that are on our hearts. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are the words that Jesus said.
Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who cares and listens and answers our prayers in the best way possible for us. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings you give us. May we live each day knowing we are all made in your image and loved by you, the God in, who created the universe. In Jesus' name, we bring all these requests before you. Amen. Church News. <laughs> Hi and welcome to St. Matt's today. We're so, so pleased to have you with us. Um, just got a few announcements for you today. First is, um, if you're new or visiting, you might not know that the way to contact us is through the Connect Card. You can find a Connect Card in the seat in front of you. They look like this. Scan the QR code and get in touch. We'd love to hear from you if you're visiting, if you just newly joined us, if you just moved into the neighborhood, why don't you fill out your details and someone will get in touch with you in the next week or so. Speaking of being new, if you've joined St. Matt's in the last maybe six months or so, we've got the next onboard course coming up. That's on the 19th of February, it's a Monday, and it'll be at 7.30 in the Daly Smith building, which is the building adjoining church. More than welcome to come. If you could let us know if you're thinking of coming, that'll be great as well. And the onboard course is just the place to come and meet some staff, hear more about what our mission is, which ministries we're involved in, and yeah, we'd just love to see you. Um, the only other announcement I have today is a bit of a big one. It's the Alpha course. The Alpha course will be starting up again this coming Tuesday, in two days' time. It's the 13th of February that we're launching. It's launch night. Now, I know we do harp on about the Alpha course sometimes, so I don't want you to grow complacent when you hear this announcement. I want you to really think about who it is that you can invite along. It's the easiest thing on earth to do. What I've done in the past is just taken one of these postcards there's a stack of them at the back of church, at the welcome desk. Take a picture of the back and of the front on your phone and send it to someone. Simply saying something along the lines of, this is on on Tuesday night, why don't you come with me? Just invite them to the launch night. People don't have to come back, but if they can just come and see on the Monday night what it's about, that's often the way to get them in the door. Love for you to invite someone along. If you can't find, think of anyone to invite along, will you just please be praying for us? praying over this course that will be a blessing for everyone that would attend that attends we would love your prayer support but do think about whether there is someone you know we heard a fantastic story at our training day the other day with our hosts and helpers where one of the hosts that ultimately became a christian through the alpha course was at a friend's house when a neighbor dropped in and dropped off an alpha postcard the neighbor didn't end up going she wasn't interested but the host on our course ended up going because it piqued her interest but life-changing, I'd say. So have a good think who you can be inviting along and let me know if you do invite someone along so I can register them, get the dietary requirements. But seriously, we would love to have anyone come along for this. So just to recap, Alpha launch night this Tuesday, 13th of February, 7 p.m. on level two of the Daly Smith building. Dinner is included and free. God bless you. That is all from me today. Have a really good day and a really good week. We've got some extra accompaniment from the, from the organ today. I, I trust um, you'll be able to uh, keep concentrating even if that's going.
Uh, but now's the chance for us to sing. This will be our collection hymn, and I think it is Hail to the Lord's Anointed. Please stand, and we'll sing together.
Well, good morning, everyone. Today's reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, which we'll find on page 1017 of the Church Bibles. I will be reading verses 1 to 37. Page 1017, Mark 13. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great things, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will all these things happen and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard you will be handed over to local councils and flogged in synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you in, at that time for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Any, everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take out anything. Let no one in the field go back to, to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in the winter because those will be the days of distress, unequal from the beginning, when God created the world until now and will never be equaled again. If the Lord has not cut short those days, no one will survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, 
there he is. Do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give out its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At, the, at that time, people will come to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he has sent his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you will know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. From about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their own assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Thank you, Ken. Well, that's an intriguing reading, isn't it? Good luck, Bruce. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful word, the simple parts and the intriguing parts. And as we come to this uh, intriguing chapter, do guide me and help us all to understand it, not just understand it, but to apply it to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the uh, things that I love to do is sleep. I wonder how important sleep is to you. Um, I'm not a sleep expert, and I know there's others who know far more about it than me, but uh, just from my basic reading on sleep, uh, it's very important. It assists your mental health uh, in preventing depression and anxiety. Uh, it can give you greater mental focus during the day if you've had a good sleep. Uh, you know that feeling when you wake up rested. Uh, it'll give you more energy. Uh, when you're awake, if you are well rested, um, and apparently it even helps your brain functioning in different ways. And so sleep is very important. 
Uh, but there's two problems to sleep. Uh, the first is some people struggle to fall asleep or stay asleep. Uh, I'm married to someone who often wakes up in the night and I'll roll over and go, oh, where is Kath? <laughs> and I'll get these emails at three in the morning, I think, uh, the next day. I think, yeah, there's where she was. Uh, and I'm not one of those. I can sleep through the night very well. Um, I always have. It's been a great gift from God. Uh, but there's others who can't help falling asleep or nodding off when they shouldn't. Uh, and I do notice a few people in church. <laughs> Let me just say, there is no judgment. I have fallen asleep during many sermons, okay? <laughs> so I do not look down in judgment, but I do happen to notice. Um, anyway, and that's okay. Uh, but there's other times where it's embarrassing for people to fall asleep. And uh, now, dogs are allowed, okay? That's quite okay for dogs to fall asleep. But when you, uh, sorry, I missed a slide, when you're in the train, and I don't know if you've ever done that, but um, there's some crazy photos out there of people who've fallen asleep in very unusual positions. Um, and that's life. And I'm going to tell you an embarrassing story about myself. Uh, I had a very early start. May have had something to do with a boat, um, going fishing. And I had to take some Americans out. I'd been requested by a staff member to take them fishing. And so I took them out fishing. We had a great day, but I had to go and visit that night um, a new couple from church. And I'd taken a couple of uh, people from church along to meet them. And uh, it was obvious that they did not understand the Christian faith. And I'm sitting there trying to explain the Christian faith and stay awake. And the visit finished when I think I'd said to them that God loved them and then just fell sound asleep. <laughs> it's one of my worst pastoral visits ever. And I'm getting this nudge in the side. <laughs> and I said, look, maybe I'll come back next week. <laughs> And I remember that awful feeling of, you know you're going to fall asleep. I'm thinking I shouldn't fall asleep, but that's what happened. Now, we come to a very important passage today. Uh, it's Mark 13. And as you listen to it being read, I'm hoping you had your Bibles open. Um, it is a intriguing, is probably a nice way to put it. It's also a difficult passage to look at. Um, it's partly why I'm, I'm up today. I thought, look, I'm happy to tackle it. Um, and some of you may be tempted to fall asleep in this, but please don't. I actually want everyone to have their, if I can say, most awake version of themselves here in the building today uh, to concentrate, because there's some very helpful things here, both learning how to read the Bible, but also what Jesus wants to say to us. So here's a couple of reflections, but if you've got your Bibles there, do open, uh, because I'm going to go through pretty much uh, verse by verse through the entire chapter, uh, and just help unpack and understand what's going on here. And you can see the numbers on the screen. Starts at 10.17 and then you flick the page very quickly and most of it is there at 10.18. But a couple of uh, just initial reflections on this passage. Uh, it isn't the easiest part of Mark's Gospel to understand or the New Testament, if I can be very honest. Uh, it is difficult uh, and there are different opinions out there on how to interpret this. Even on my staff team, uh, I've got some differences of opinion, and that's okay. Having a different opinion on this is not life-changing. It's not going to affect your standing in the Christian faith under God. The language of Jesus uh, becomes increasingly elusive as you go along. Um, it's also marked by Old Testament quotes, which is a clue to how you should read it. Um, and there are themes in here 
that appear apocalyptic. And apocalyptic language is typically language that is speaking of the end of all things. And there are parts here which become apocalyptic. I don't think it's right to say it is an apocalyptic discourse, but there's no doubt there's apocalyptic characteristics about it in parts. And it's also mixed with what I'd call political prophecy. We'll come to that as we go through. And so you've got this kind of mishmash of different styles, genres, all in uh, this extended dialogue that's in response to a couple of questions. And the problem I think for us as modern readers is uh, we're not familiar with so much of the material here. The disciples would have been much more familiar with the concepts that were being spoken of. And they would have been able to understand it to a certain degree in much easier fashion than us today. And so it should be no surprise when I say it is the most disputed part of Mark's gospel. Let's not put that off because uh, there's some great things to learn. There's two parts to what I want to go through. Firstly, um, how do you interpret Mark 13? And I just want to spend about five minutes just thinking about how you actually read this part of scripture. And then secondly, what is being spoken of in Mark 13? I'm going to spend the bulk of the time. But here's five things to think about in terms of how you interpret uh, Mark 13. And these are just general rules for reading the Bible. Uh, you'd apply to any part of Scripture, but particularly here. Uh, firstly, understand this genre. Uh, while the language is different to the rest of Mark's Gospel, uh, I've already noted it's got these apocalyptic features. And so that should just alert us, we're not dealing with a normal part of the narrative, like when, say, Jesus goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. Uh, this is a different form of language. It's colourful, it's arresting, um, and it is speaking about impending judgement. And it's a call to faithfulness and alertness at a time when the status quo is disintegrating in Israel as he literally is days away from the cross. Secondly, the biblical context. And it's very important to note this. Many people who read this passage read in the book of Revelation. It's worth saying the book of Revelation did not exist at this time. It was many decades before it would be written. This discourse has its biblical context in the Old Testament. And you can see that because, importantly, Old Testament prophecies are directly quoted by Jesus along with Old Testament allusions. And in particular, uh, the book of Daniel, which does have an apocalyptic section, and the book of Isaiah, which has many prophetic words to speak about the temple, are directly not just alluded to, but quoted here in Mark 13. And so the Old Testament is our control for how we understand it. Uh, thirdly, the opening statement should tell us this is what the chapter is about. So if you've got your Bibles there, read with me. Chapter 13, verse 1, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And uh, the Jerusalem temple that had been constructed was magnificent in its day. And you would have looked at it and marveled. And Jesus just uh, says, well, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. It's a very stark and confronting statement. Uh, they are marvelling at the architecture and what that building meant to the people of God. And Jesus says, actually, its days are numbered. It's not just numbered, it's going to be destroyed. And so it's worth asking, what was the temple and why was it so significant and particularly the destruction of it so significant? Uh, this might be... Different for us, though we may get it um, 
intuitively, the temple represented for the people of God in the Old Testament, Israel, the fact that God was on the throne and ruling. He was their God and he was in charge. And if you wanted to meet with God, you literally had to go to the temple and you would meet with God there and God enabled them to meet with them through the sacrificial system. And so there were sacrifices so that their sins could be atoned for and forgiven. And this was very, very significant for them, that their God literally dwelt with them in this building. Now, it's worth noting, God is not particularly here. He is everywhere in the world. We have a building because it facilitates our ministry. This is not a temple in that sense. It was, though, in Jesus' day. And what he's saying is that era of ministry is about to come to an end. It's actually a very stunning statement. Because by saying that the temple is going to be destroyed, he was effectively saying to Israel, your days are numbered. Judgment is coming. A new age or a new era is about to dawn. Thirdly, the two questions. Or fourthly, the two questions. Uh, what happens is uh, that statement that the temple was going to be destroyed was most likely made in public in the forecourts or the outer courts of the temple. And it may have been one of the reasons why it is referred to at his trial because people could have overheard him say that. Now, the disciples are probably aware of this and think, well, let's not talk about this in public. Uh, they go up opposite, climb Mount of Olives, and then have, they have their private discussion. And at this point, after leaving, uh, you've got Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives, that's uh, verse 3, opposite the temple, and Peter, James, John and Andrew, kind of the inner sanctum, ask him privately. So, Jesus, you can just see them, uh, when's this going to happen? <laughs> And uh, what's going to be the sign that's all about to be fulfilled? And there's just this sense of puzzlement. Are you really? This is really going to happen? This is going to happen? Be destroyed? And how will we know? And these two questions, when or what, basically are responded to in the chapter. And that is to control our understanding of what's being referred to in the chapter. And I say that because many people think what is spoken about here is the second coming of the Lord Jesus. It's predominantly about the destruction of the temple, though his second coming is alluded to in a small way at the very end. We'll come to that. And then you get a key statement within Jesus' words, which is at verse 30. Have a look at verse 30. It says, "'Truly I tell you,' this is Jesus speaking, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. In other words, uh, this destruction that's about to take place, I'm going to explain about it, it will happen in your lifetime. And so whatever else it is that Jesus is speaking about, we can be sure of this, all of these things would take place in the generation of the disciples, which was the first century AD. Now, with that being said, how do we understand the passage? There are six movements 
Firstly, the old order is passing away. Secondly, something terrible will happen in Israel. Thirdly, the king is about to ascend to the throne. Fourth, this news will go out to the ends of the earth. Fifth, prior to the king returning to rule, he says, be ready and waiting. That's what the chapter's about. There you go, nice and easy. Let's go have morning tea. Let me explain it to you. The old order of Israel is about to pass away. Uh, let me give an illustration. Um, we now have King Charles on the throne. Now, with the very sad passing of the wonderful Queen Elizabeth, there was not just a, if I can say, succession with the crown, there is a sense of which a new age is dawning, particularly in the Commonwealth. And if you're aware of the news that filters in from other countries, uh, many countries are saying it's a new era now. And there's a real sense Queen Elizabeth held the Commonwealth together, I think, because of the magnificence of her character and the respect that all the nations had within the Commonwealth. But those days are finished. And Commonwealth countries are saying, actually, we're reassessing our relationship with you as the Crown. And it's not a judgment on Charles, it's a judgment on the whole system that is now changing. And I use that to illustrate because when the temple would be destroyed, it was a whole change of era that was about to take place in Israel with how God dealt with his people and met with his people. And that is what is being heralded here by the Lord Jesus. Now, it's interesting, if you go to John's Gospel, chapter 15, he says it in prosaic language when he quotes the prophet Isaiah and says, I am the true vine. And he's saying there, there's a change of era because the vine was Israel. He's saying, actually, now it's me. And so with the coming of the Lord Jesus, there is this new era that dawns. Other language in the Bible is there's an old covenant, a new covenant. And that is what is dawning. When he sees, says, do you not see all these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Temple worship is going to come to an end. The land as the place where God dwelt is coming to an end. The people of God known as Israel was effectively coming to an end as a spiritual entity. There is a new thing happening. That's what's being announced. And then in verse 5, he warns them, interestingly, don't be deceived. Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of rumours of wars and wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. And then he describes in verses 9 and 10 how they will be opposed and persecuted. And it's worth noting this is exactly what takes place in the book of Acts. There's people trying to be deceptive, uh, there's opposition, there's rulers in that time that rise and fall, and he's saying, don't be deceived, the end will come. But in verse 10 he says, but the gospel has to continue to be preached to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what the book of Acts records for us. And so it is the change of an era. The old order is passing away. But secondly, something terrible will soon take place in Israel. And you see here in verse 14, 
When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, it's an interesting phrase, let the reader understand, because what he's quoting here is directly from Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. I've got it up on the screen for you. And you can see there the quote. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And so going back to Mark, let the reader understand this. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or into the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray this will not just take place in winter because... These will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. And so you've got this very strong apocalyptic language that's taking place about the end is coming. And what he's saying is, he's quoting here Daniel chapter 7. And so something awful is about to be happened and we learn from the next verses that it's actually the temple that's going to be destroyed. And he quotes here from Isaiah if you've got your notes, it's chapter 13, 10, and also 34, verse 4. But in those days following the distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its life, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And it's the language of judgment. Now, what's interesting is, in this is actually quoting here from Isaiah, those words typically were used to speak of the judgment God was going to bring on the nations around Israel, what Jesus does is takes them and now applies it to Israel and says, your days are under God's judgment and they are about to come to an end. And this is exactly what took place in the first century with Israel. In April of AD 70, just three days before the holy Jewish festival of Passover. I mean, the Romans would have absolutely known what they were doing. On one of the most significant days in all the history of Israel, that was celebrated annually, three days before, the Roman army began their sacking of the city of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And four months later, it was complete. And the abomination that caused desolation had done its worst to Israel. And it was all part of the judgment of God on his own people, Israel, for the way they'd failed to recognise the time of his coming to them in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Read the end of Luke chapter 19, where Jesus weeps. And I'm quoting from here. And he says, these days of judgment are coming because you have not recognised the time of God's coming. And that's exactly what took place. And this whole era of ministry and worship that Israel had literally came to an end. Now, in many ways, it's like an overlap because at the cross, there was a new temple instituted. The temple curtain was torn in two. And the presence of God and access to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. But the final destruction of the Israelite system was in AD 70. Fourthly, the king will ascend to the throne. Now have a look at verse 26. We read, at that time people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. 
And I think the natural temptation is, as people who are aware of the truth that Jesus will return, as recorded in the book of Revelation, or in, say, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that we read into this verse the return of the Lord Jesus. But that is not the way we should read it, because it's actually not what Daniel was predicting. And Jesus is here quoting Daniel to affirm something about his ministry. And when you read Daniel 7, what is spoken of is the Son of Man, who is this authoritative figure, who is taken up from earth and ascends to the throne. And so go back and read Daniel 7, I think it's verse 14, and he comes and receives authority. And that's exactly what took place with the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. He ascends to the throne. That's what happens in Acts chapter 1. And he commissions them to go out to the ends of the earth where the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And so what Jesus is talking about here is the old era of temple worship, of gathering geographically at that place to meet with God is over. The king, the son of man, is about to ascend to his throne. He will have all authority and the message has to go out to the ends of the earth which is the next thing you see. And so at verse 27 in what is follows, let me read 26 and 27 together. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, in other words, ascending to the throne, and he will send his angels and gather the elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now the word angel in the original language is angelus, and it can mean angel, it also means messenger, because that's actually what angels were. They were messengers of God. But don't think that it necessarily is, if I can say, angelic messengers that are being referred to here. Uh, what is being said is he will send his messengers and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. And so the messengers, both angelic and human, we are to what? Go out... With the message of the gospel and that's what he said in verse 10 the gospel must go and be preached to the ends of the world and that is this new era that we're in god is not confined to a building his presence is through the new temple the lord jesus christ he is now on the throne and he sends us out to the world with news, the king rules this world. What was the message of the early church in the book of Acts? The predominant message. Do you know what it wasn't? When you read the speeches in the book of Acts, it is not Jesus died for your sins, though they refer to that. It is that this Jesus whom you killed, God has raised from the dead and he's on the throne. <laughs> And one day he's coming back. And that was the message of the early church. And that is still the message today. Our king is on the throne. We need not be afraid. We should not be put off by persecution or opposition or deceivers. But we're to take this message to the ends of the world because the gospel must be preached to the ends of the world. 
And then he finishes with these words. Now learn the lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. And I take it it was springtime when he says this because uh, they're at Passover uh, and spring would be there. And so he's alluding, I think, to what's happening in the natural world. Even so, when you see these things happen, you know that it's near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So these things will happen within his lifetime. That the temple will be destroyed, that the king will ascend to the throne, and that the gospel will start to go out to the ends of the world. And all this takes place prior to the king returning to rule. And here you get an oblique reference. I think it is oblique, but I think it is a reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, not the Son, nor the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know what, uh, when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows. Boy, sticks it into Peter there. Um, Or at dawn. And what he's saying is the master is going to come back to his house. And... I think this is an oblique reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And however you understand that language, he is coming back. And so the warning is one that we need to hold on to today. If he comes suddenly, this is verse 38, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone watch. Before I sum it up and apply it to us, let me just recap where we've gone. In Mark 13, Jesus is announcing that the era of Israel and temple worship and all that associated with it is over. And it would lead to the destruction of both the temple and Israel in the coming years. But it would be followed at the same time by Jesus ascending to the throne and beginning his new rule over the heavens and the earth, fulfilling Daniel 7. And the news of Jesus being the risen King of Kings is to go out to the ends of the world. Because at some time, but at some point, he will come back and so we need to be ready. And it's interesting those words he uses, do not let him find you sleeping. I've fallen asleep driving twice. It's a very chilling thing to remember. When I was 20, I lived up the central coast as an engineering student and I was coming back after a long weekend of after-curricular activities and too much sport. And i just finished playing baseball in Newcastle and I drove back and fell asleep at the wheel. Thankfully, there was gravel on the side, it woke me up. When I was 40, and I'm very conscious of not falling asleep at the wheel, let me tell you, I was coming back after a long weekend. I'd stayed overnight and I had the entire family in the car. And I could tell I was very tired and falling asleep. And you know that feeling. And I'm looking, where can I pull off? 
and I saw in the distance, one kilometre, a rest zone. I reckon I got 500 metres there and fell asleep. I was doing 100 kilometres an hour. Now, thankfully, they have those bumps on the road when you go across the lane. It woke up my wife. I was on the freeway back to Wollongong, and she screamed at me. It's the best scream I've ever heard. <laughs> I tell you, what, I feel sick when I ever remember this incident. And I tell you this, because just as it's possible in the physical world while driving to fall asleep, it is absolutely the same in our spiritual lives under God that we fall asleep. And the consequences are far worse. And Jesus is saying to us, if the Lord Jesus comes back, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And if you take one thing away from this chapter, it should be this. We are now in the era where Jesus is ruling. And that news of his love and forgiveness is going out to the world. Be faithful in serving him and be ready for when he comes back. Do not fall asleep at the wheel. And I want to ask you today, are you asleep at the wheel spiritually? Or has God woken you up and you're serving him faithfully? Because if you are asleep at the wheel, I just urge you, wake up and live in the light that the Lord Jesus is on the throne and be serving him faithfully so that whenever it is you meet him, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let us pray. Father, though the imagery and the language is somewhat obtuse and elusive at times, we know that you will come back because you promised you will. Help us to be awake and living in the light and not asleep. And may we live in the light by serving you faithfully every day, quietly going about our business, all in the name of the Lord Jesus. May you give us that presence of mind, that alertness to know every day is a day where we're to live for you because one day we'll stand before you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Uh, friends, we're going to share together now in the Lord's Supper. You'll need one of these little communion packs, so if you don't have one, just raise your hand. There's a number over here. Yeah, quite a few. And um, while they're being passed around, it will be very helpful for those of you who've got it, just to take uh, off the two seals, the, um, the clear one. So you've got the bread and then the foil one, so you can uh, access the, the juice there. It's a strange way this ritual has developed uh, in COVID and post-COVID, uh, but we've got the really important things, which is God's word, and these two little elements, the, um, the bread and the, the cup. And I'll say a little bit more about them in a moment. But I might just um, take a moment to reflect with you on the significance of what we've heard in the context of sharing in the Lord's Supper. Uh, it's, it, it is a really rich... Um, uh, vein of teaching that opens up in Mark chapter 13 and I think as you step back from the detail of that it's, it's just another indicator to us of the magnitude of what took place when Jesus went to the cross a whole new era in the history of the world was beginning and uh, Jesus was explaining what was coming to his disciples at great length in Mark uh, 13 and more briefly uh, on the night before he was betrayed. It was momentous what took place there. Nothing like it had happened since the creation of the world. And nothing more like it will happen until Jesus comes again. There is the great turning point for the history of the world as we know it. Uh, listen to what though Jesus said a little later, just a few days later, beyond Mark 13 when he's gathering with the disciples. Uh, it says uh, in Luke's Gospel, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Then he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So it's very appropriate as we prepare to remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we remember our part in his death. Uh, that part which is the sinful actions, the sinful attitudes, the sinful way of life we've chosen. And we, we pray this confession uh, with a sense of deep sorrow at the same time as a sense of great joy, knowing that God accepts us because of what Christ did. That's, that's part of what's taken place in this revolution in the way the world operates. So please join me as we, as we confess our sins together to God. Merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts 
and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent. According to the promises declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that from now on we may live godly and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. And friends, we have a, a tremendous sense of reassurance as we listen to the message that went out from Jerusalem after the death and resurrection of Jesus. At one point, the Apostle John says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So that we can be assured no matter what is in our past or from our distant past or our recent past, we've been washed clean. We've been purified as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. So I'll lead us in a prayer and then we'll share in the bread and the wine together. We thank you, our Father, that in your mercy and love, you gave your only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our salvation. By this offering of himself, once and for all time, Jesus made a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Hear us, merciful Father, and grant that we who receive these gifts of your creation, this bread and this wine, according to our Saviour's command, in remembrance of his suffering and death, may spiritually be partakers of his body and blood. So let's take this bread and eat it in remembrance that Christ died for us and feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And let's drink from the cup in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for us and be thankful. Let's pray together in the words of this prayer of thanksgiving. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life, we who drink his cup bring life to others. He whom the Spirit lights, give light to the world. Keep us in this hope that we have grasped, so we and all your children shall be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name. Amen. Amen. Please, please stand. Uh, I'll just mention, morning tea will be served over in the function room. If you're a guest with us, we'd love you to, to come and join us if you're able. We'd love to welcome you there. And uh, I'll also remind you that there are 
uh, those, those invitation cards to the Alpha course for Tuesday night. Uh, please take a couple with you. It would be wonderful if, as a result of our initiative on that front, we see more people there on Tuesday night. But friends, let's, uh, let's say the words of this blessing together. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God, the, Fa the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen. Thank mm -hmm. you.